Galatians 1, 13-21 For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Paul has a real flow to the text here, which if you read the letter in its entirety, you will notice how his argument is being put together to defend his authority. This authority, as I said in the last episode, is being questioned by the Judaizers who quite simply want to add to the gospel. Part of their claim seems to be that he was going too soft on the Gentiles. This text, then, is nested inside the larger fight for the purity of the gospel. One of the more enlightening things for me of late has been to realize that the biggest attack on the gospel is not the denial that it is necessary, but that it is all that is necessary. Let me say that again. The biggest attack on the gospel is not the denial that it is necessary, but that it is all that is necessary. When you hear things like, for sure Jesus is all you need for your salvation, but once you are saved, you have to do this. It is just a backdoor way to deny Jesus is all you need for salvation, because then you are left wondering if I really am saved based on my actions. Maybe you've heard this common idea before. You don't have to do these things to be saved, but if you are really saved, you'll do these things. It sounds good on the surface. It's catchy, it's edgy, and it seems to be a good way to motivate people towards godly living. But digging deeper, the question must be asked, what am I going to look to for my assurance then? My works or Christ's? Of course it is my works, because then I'll know if I have Christ by my actions, instead of the reality that I have Christ because he says I am his. There is a sense here, when taken with the rest of scripture, in which the leaders of the church are sort of floundering around. The fact that we hear about Paul doing all this ministry to the Gentiles without the knowledge of the original disciples is telling. It doesn't appear they had a firm stance on how to welcome the Gentiles into this historic Jewish faith, even in something like the issue of circumcision, which we will see later in this letter. It might not even be a stretch to wonder how much, if at all, they had been ministering to the Gentiles. And Paul is totally prepared to go do ministry on his own without the blessing of those he will later say, are held in high esteem. He recognized that they were important in an earthly sense, but to the kingdom of God, in contrast to the purity of the gospel, they don't matter more than anyone else in God's eyes. What matters is the gospel. It is likely some probably thought Paul was making a mountain out of a molehill, but Paul is willing to die on this hill. It shouldn't be lost on us that the most important act in human history occurred on a lowly hill, that is Golgotha, Christ's death on the cross. Thus, it is not unreasonable for Paul to be willing to die on a lowly hill either, given that his Savior did the same. At the same time, we see some level of conflict with the apostles. 
Paul indicates they were still praising God because of the work done through him towards the Gentiles. Whether we are going through unprecedented division as I record this matters little in my mind. The reality is people feel division deeply, and that feeling is tangible and real to them. What good news to hear that the first people to carry the torch of the gospel disagreed on some key issues. Yet there was unity around one thing, the good news, and ultimately, the free gift of God won out. Your word of encouragement today is this. The gospel is of an infinite value and worth. It can unify even the most divided.